Turn to Genesis 1, and um, we'll start at the beginning. The Lord uh, impressed this on me. I've never actually taught this before. It's a brand new message. Some of these traveling ministers, they use the same message, which is okay. But I wrote this out just for Vida Church. I felt the Lord impressed this on me. Genesis 1, we're going to start in verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Appreciate uh, Pastors Ben and Kara uh, having us here, and we just love being here. It's like being home when we come to Vida Church, praise God. Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make, first of all, it says, Let us, so we know there's a Trinity, we know there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. So God wanted to make mankind, you and me, men and women, humans, in his image. Um, we're, we're different from the animals. I don't care what, I don't care if your dog is intelligent, I don't care if your parrot can talk. I don't care if your monkey can, uh, you know, walk around like a human. There's a big difference between humans and animals. Amen. Humans are made in God's image. We are in the image of God. It says, let us make us man in our image, according to our likeness. We have the likeness of God. We have the character of God. You know, First uh, John four seventeen says, as he is, so are we in this world. When you get born again, your spirit becomes identical to the Lord Jesus. And that's how God in- intended it in the very first place. In fact, God made mankind so that he could indwell them and have relationship with them. So let us make us, in a, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps. So women, you have authority over creeps. If a creep tries to, if a creep tries to creep on you, so I have authority over you, get away, you creep. Praise God. So women, you tell creeps to go away. Amen. No, thank you. Uh, you, have, you have authority over creeps. Um, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I don't see any other genders there. Just male and female. Praise the Lord. So they're male or they're female. You're either male or you're female. We can help you with that. We love everyone. If you're confused about that, I'm genuinely serious. I'm not making fun. If you're confused about that, come and see us. We'll talk to you. Talk to your pastors. We'll help you with that. And we have lots of empathy for you. But the bottom line is you're either male or female, and you're made in God's image, as special as you are. Praise God. You are special. You don't have to be anything else to be special. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty sad how the church in general, not this church, but the church in general, we're rejecting anyone who's confused. If you're confused, you're welcome here. Uh, you're welcome here, and you can come here, and you can sit on the front row and be confused, and we'll help you, teach you who you are in Christ. Amen. So male and female, he created them. Um, then God blessed them. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Look at this in the message paraphrase, in the message translation. Verse 28 of Genesis 1 says, God blessed them. And this is the very first thing God said to mankind. So he made the whole creation. Everything was made. He made mankind. And he, he, right there was, was the jewel of his crown, if you like. The biggest part of creation was mankind. In fact, all of creation was made for mankind. And the reason why he made man and women last, men and women last, was because everything was set up for them. Everything was provided for them. Imagine if you made men and women the first day, they would have to float for like five days. And there would have been no light. It would have been cold and stuff like that. So God did things in a certain order. In fact, God created, it's amazing, God created most of it in the dark because it was day three, I think. He said, let there be light. So it's amazing. But he waited till the end to create men and women so that everything was ready, perfect for them. So he created men and women. They were perfect. He set them down on the earth, Garden of Eden. And guess what the first words God said to mankind, these are the very first words God said. He didn't say, don't sin. He didn't say, you know, um, whatever. He didn't say, you know, do this, do that. The very first thing he commanded mankind, the very first words he said was be fruitful and multiply. In the message version, the very first thing he said here is prosper. Prosper was the first thing that God said 
to mankind. Prosper. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. You know, everything went wrong, as you know. There was the fall. They, um, Eve and Adam got deceived. Eve and Adam. It was Eve first and then Adam. They got deceived, and then guess what happened? They, uh, you know, God had to do a redo, right? He, did a, he had a, a, a do-over, and um, we had the flood and the ark. I'm not going to get into all that, but basically, there was a redo, and, and after the ark, after 40 days, the ark, Noah came out of the ark. So he was starting again. The Lord was starting again with Noah's family. And this was Noah and his family, and he started all over again. Brand new start, clean slate. And guess what the first thing he said to Noah in this brand new start? You can read this in Genesis 9, verse 1. Genesis 9, verse 1. Again, the message paraphrase. Genesis 9, verse 1, the exact same thing. God said it again to Noah. He said, God bless Noah. He blessed him first, blessed him, and said to him and his sons, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth. And we go on and on. Abraham, Abraham, in Genesis 12, he said, I'm going to bless you and make you great and make you a blessing. God's first words to Adam, God's first words to Noah, God's first words to Abraham, was, I'm going to bless you and I want you to prosper. I want you to increase. I want you to reproduce. I want you to fill the earth, take dominion. That's God's plan for you. God's plan for you is not to retreat, is not to feel sorry for yourself, is not to run away, is not to hide, is not to be in fear regardless of what's happening in the earth. Have you know, we've been through some crazy times. The last three years or four years have been crazy. Anyone agree? It's been a crazy time. I never thought I'd see the day where I'd have to line up for like half an hour just to buy toilet paper. And what's even more crazy, I was excited about it. <laughs> Get me some toilet paper today, baby. This is going to be awesome. No more kitchen towel. <laughs> that was like TMI. That was TMI. Okay. That was TMI. I'm just saying. So, so, and now, I don't know about you, every time I go to Costco's, I buy a pack just in case. And I've got so much paper towel, so much, kids, so much toilet paper now, I don't need all that toilet paper. But anyway, my point being this, is that we've had some crazy times. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. You live off of God's economy. You belong to the Lord. You are seated in, with him in heavenly places. Your true address is heaven. You're ambassadors here on earth. You are seated with him. You're ambassadors here. So whatever's happening in this crazy world... The Lord is still saying the same thing to us today. He's still saying to you, prosper, reproduce, be fruitful, take dominion. This is our job as born-again believers. We're meant to prosper and increase in this world. In fact, let me put it this way. If you're looking for a title for this message, this could be the title. God made you to increase. Praise God. God made you to increase. You are designed for increase. God made you to increase. Everything God makes and everything God touches increases. Think about it. Even creation. He, made, he didn't make a bunch of trees. You know, he made trees and they had seeds and those, those, seed, those trees could reproduce. He made animals and those animals had seeds or eggs and they could reproduce. He made it one time, probably about 6,000 years ago, and guess what's happening? It's reproducing and reproducing and reproducing. God really hasn't made a brand new dog, if you like. Those dogs have just been reproducing all these years. The same with any animal, the same with any plant, any tree. What God touches increases and it exponentially increases. There's a, there's a supernatural increase to God's plan. And it's the same for us. God wants you to increase. God wants you to increase in every area of your life. He wants you to, well, apart from physically. Don't increase physically. I was at a church the other day and they had these confessions. They said, Lord, we increase. We increase and we prosper and we abound and we increase. And we increase in our finances. I was like, amen. They said, we increase in our favor. I was like, amen. And we increase physically. And I was like, I don't know about increasing physically. I don't know. I'm not confessing the increasing physically. But you can say you can increase in your health. You can increase in your health. You can increase in peace. God has got more for you. You know, Carly was up here after worship giving you a similar word. There's increase on you. God has more for you. 
God is not going backwards and God is not stuck. So if God's not going backwards, he's not stuck. He must be moving forward. God has more for you. God has more for you in every area of your life. And if we just settle and say, well, this must be it. My glory days are behind me. I'm here to tell you, church, your glory days are not behind you. Your glory days are ahead. I don't care how great it's been in the past. Some of you say to me, well, actually, you know, five years ago, I used to do this and I used to do that. And I went to meetings and this happened. I used to have this business and that happened. And you're talking about your glory days like they were past. How do you know your best days are still ahead? I don't care if you're 99 years old today. Your best days are ahead, praise God. God has increase for you. God has new things for you. And he can take you new places to meet new people. Your glory days are ahead, and God has designed you to increase. And I believe that increase can be in favor, in influence, in your relationships. There's lots of increase on your life, lots of things in your life that God wants to move forward, wants to move you forward. You know, he takes us from glory to glory. It's not just from glory to half glory. It's glory to glory, which means it's always getting better with the Lord. Now, in the natural, some things might not look like they're getting better. In the natural, some things might look like, well, it looks like I'm going backwards. But you know what? If you're following God's will, God's always moving forward. God's never retreating. He's always moving forward, and that's how he wants it for you. He wants you to prosper and increase. And if he was to talk to you one-on-one right now, he'd be saying the same thing. Prosper, increase, be fruitful, go for it, take dominion, take your authority. You have authority on this earth. You have authority over the works of the devil. The devil's a defeated foe. He's under our feet. He's defeated. Some of us get hung up on fighting the devil. Don't fight him. Just put him in his place. Say, you belong under my feet. Jesus already defeated you. Carly said this last night in First Peter, talking about the enemy roaming around like a, like a lion. It says he roams around as a roaring lion. The reason why it says as a roaring lion, he's not a roaring lion. He roams around as a roaring lion, but Jesus kicked his teeth out. So what's he going to do? Gum you to death? He's got no chance. I mean, he's is, he is, he is a defeated foe. In fact, years ago, I might embarrass Hannah by saying this story, but she was maybe four, four years old, five years old, something like that, and I said, we were talking about what's real and what's fake, and I said, Hannah, you know, is, is, the, is the devil, is he real or is he fake? Like, does he exist or doesn't he exist? Is the devil real or is the devil fake? And she thought about it for a little bit. She was about four or five years old. She, said, she looked around and said, Dad, she said, the devil is real, but his weapons are fake. And that's true. She's got more revelation than half the body of Christ. The devil is real, but his weapons are fake. Jesus stripped him of all his weapons. The only power he's got over us is deception. So all the enemy can do is convince you to do something, and then you do it. But he can't make you do anything. The enemy can't make you do anything, and the enemy, you don't have to fight him. Jesus did not fight the devil. He just put him in his place in Luke 4. He told him, it is written. It is written. It is written. So you just use the word and you say, devil, no. The devil might come to you and you might have this thought. He's very subtle, right? You might have this thought. You're not going to make it. Your economy's going down. They're laying people off at your work. Your business can't make it in this economy. Your marriage isn't going to make it. Your children are never going to come back to the Lord. The devil will whisper these lies into your head. You know what you do? You just turn around and use scripture and say, it is written. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It is written, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It is written, I'm above only not belief. It is written, everything I put my hand to prospers. And you just use the word back on. And you think, well, is it me or is it the enemy? Well, sometimes it's hard to tell. Your unrenewed mind, your flesh can speak to you. And sometimes that's the enemy, sometimes it's just your flesh. But either way, it's not godly. So just rebuke it, put it in its place. Say, no, it is written. That's why it's so important that we have scriptures around us all the time. We're keeping our minds stayed on the Lord. That's what perfect peace is, when we keep our minds stayed on the Lord. And we use scripture to overcome things. Jesus had a greater battle with himself than he did with the devil. Did you know that? Jesus had a greater battle with himself than he did with the devil. He battled his, his own will. See, when Jesus came down, he was 100% man, even though he was still 100% God. 
And he came down and chose to limit himself as a man, which is a miracle in itself. It's amazing that God himself would choose to come down and send his only son as 100% God, but put himself at the, at the hands of his own creation. Like Mary and Joseph had to raise him. Imagine the pressure of raising the son of God. I mean, good job they didn't lose him for three days. Oh, wait, they did. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? We just lost the son of God. I mean, it's like, so they actually, he came down as a baby, a helpless baby, and, and he let creation raise him. But my point being is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had a battle with his own will. And he really didn't want to go to the cross because in his flesh he knew how painful it would be, he knew how difficult it would be, and his soul did not want to go. His unrenewed part of his did not want to go to the cross. But you know, he pushed through that and he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he was so anxious, he sweated drops of blood. That's how anxious he was. The biggest battle you have is between your will and God's will. God will ask you to do something. Are you going to be obedient? So let's talk about this real quickly, about what it means to increase how he can prosper and how he can increase. You know this, you know to turn there. John 10.10, Jesus puts it real clear. You need religion to help you misunderstand this, but John 10.10 is like a real clear guideline. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. So the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But it says, I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. So if it's the devil, he's going to want to kill, steal, and destroy. If it's God, he's going to want to give you life and life more abundantly. We don't have to spend that long finding out what God's will is. It's God's will for you to be in life. It's God's will for you to be well. It's God's will for you to prosper, have your needs met. It's God's will for you to have all these things, have life more abundantly. So if, you, if, if there's something in your life that isn't giving you life, that's causing you to, to go backwards, that's causing things to come away, to be stolen from you or to be destroyed or to kill you, it's not coming from God. And we've been to churches. We were, used to be a part of churches many decades ago where they would say, well, we don't know God's will. Is it God's will to heal or not? Yes, it is God's will to heal. It's simple. We don't know if it's God's will for this person to live or not. No, it's God's will for them to live. God's written his will down. It's very simple. Life and life more abundant. That's how he wants us to live. He wants to give us the abundant life. And if you look at this, um, I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures here. Deuteronomy 8, 18. I love this scripture. In fact, I think last time I was here, I told you about this scripture. got me into trouble. Do you remember that? Deuteronomy 8, 18. My two favorite scriptures are Deuteronomy 8, 18. And my second favorite in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 28, 8. They're both great scriptures. Deuteronomy 28.8 says, the Lord's going to put a command of blessing on your storehouses and all to which you set your hand. And then Deuteronomy 8.18 says, do not forget the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. Great, two great verses. So I remember my first book I had out. Someone said, can you sign my book? I didn't know what to do. I'd never signed a book before. So I just wrote my name. They said, well, usually you're meant to put like something encouraging or a scripture. So I thought, no problem. So I thought, well, Deuteronomy 8.18 is a great verse. Do not forget the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. I like that. But Deuteronomy 28, 8 is a good verse. He's going to command a blessing on your storehouses and all to which you set your hand. So I got confused between the two and I started signing my book, Deuteronomy 28, 18. Deuteronomy 28, 18. It's not a good verse. Deuteronomy 28, 18 says you're cursed in your womb, you're cursed in your loins. I can imagine those people coming home with my book saying... Hey, honey, I went to Ashley Terridge's conference and he signed his book. Oh, great. She says, gather the kids around. Brother Ashley's written a word in this book. This is our family word we're going to stand on. Gather around, children. Gather around. Johnny, Johnny, get the Bible out. Get the Bible out. Now, Brother Ashley says the word over our family is Deuteronomy 28, 18. Now, little Johnny, you read that. You read that in the Bible. You are cursed in your lives. <laughs> okay. So... So Deuteronomy 8, 8, 18 is what the verse I want to read today. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, 
So that's simple enough, but it's really important that we remember that. You know, here in America, we can often forget how good God is, and you need to remember God for everything good in your life. I tell people, I blame God for all the good things in my life. Amen. And if we don't, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, if we don't show some gratitude about what God's done in our life, then we're going to be, of all men, most miserable. Amen. We need to make sure that we remember the Lord our God, because everything good in your life, it's the Lord. Amen. God is good. He's a good God. So remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. Did you know that the Lord has given you a supernatural power to get wealth, to increase? Now, we could talk about increase in lots of different areas, but today I want to focus on this area of provision. God has given you the power to get wealth. Now, it doesn't say here he's given you wealth. God is, doesn't give you wealth directly. I know it's disappointing, especially for us charismatic, devil-chasing, tongue-talking, you know, word of faith, grace uh, Christians. We think that God's just going to drop it on us. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It's only happened to me one time. I was laying in bed. I was a youth pastor. I had no money. And I was laying in bed, and I was like, Lord, I just need $10. Lord, I need $10 to put gas in my car. I haven't even got enough gas to go across town. When me and Carly first got married, we were so poor. We were like poor. We couldn't even afford the OR. We were just poor. We couldn't afford to pay attention. I mean, we were poor, poor, poor. Our, our place we lived was so small, we couldn't change our minds. It was terrible. And we had no money. And we, we, had, we had squirrels running around. Every morning I'd get up to make coffee, and there'd be squirrels running around the worktops. So anyway, we had no money. We were poor. And... Um, we was, we was, I could do, I'm not going to tell you stories, but anyway. So I was like, Lord, I just need $10, please. I need $10 to put gas in my car. It's actually 10 pounds, so it's about $15. We was in England at the time. And I said, Lord, you can just give me $10. And I turned and laid in bed. I opened my Bible, and a $10 note just fell down. Hit me right in the face. I thought, the Lord has rained down money from heaven. But it wasn't. Someone had blessed me by putting that in my Bible. So whoever that was, if you're watching online about 25 years ago, thank you for doing that. Praise God. You help me get across town. But the point being, God does not rain money from heaven. No, what he does is he gives you the power to get wealth. See, God has given us the power. He's given us the power to subdue, subdue the enemy, the works of the devil. He's given us the power over this. He's given us power over sickness. He's given us power over these things. He's given us power over lack. He's given us power over not having enough. And he's given us the power to get wealth. God has given you that power. And you might say, actually, you don't understand. I'm a single parent. I'm old, I'm young. You can come up with all the excuses, but it doesn't change anything. The, the fact is, if you have given G, your life to Jesus, if you've received the life of Jesus, then you have the power to get wealth today. And all you've got to do is tap into that and find out what it is. Now, if you don't want to use that power, that's up to you. God's not going to force you to use it. But I happen to believe that God will still say the same to us as he said to, to Adam back then, as he said to Noah, as he said to Abraham. He wants us to be blessed, and he does bless us, and he wants us to prosper and reproduce and fill the earth and prosper. And you might say, actually, that sounds a little selfish, talking about prospering financially and talking about getting wealth. That doesn't sound very spiritual, and it, it sounds a little bit selfish, like, I'm going to get wealth. Well, if you understand the purpose of getting wealth, then you realize it's not selfish. In fact, let me put, put it this way, and Pastor Ben can fix this next week, but if you're not believing God, if you're not believing God for wealth, if you're not believing God to prosper, then you're selfish. Dun, dun, dun. Why? Because it's not about us. Ultimately, God loves you and he wants to provide for your needs, but the reason why he wants us to prosper and get wealth is that he can establish his covenant. Look at the rest of the verse. That he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. The reason why God's given you the power to get wealth is so he can establish his covenant on earth. Now, you could say this very simply, what's God's covenant on earth? He wants to show the world how much he loves them. He wants to show the world how much they are loved and how much he wants relationship with them. And you know what? It takes money to do that. 
It takes money to buy church buildings, like this great church building here. This costs money to do this. If we're all like, oh, no, we don't want to mess with the, with the devil's filthy lucre. We don't want to mess with that money, that unrighteous mammon. We wouldn't be able to buy this church. It costs money for me and Kai to fly around the world. We're going to Africa in a few months. That costs money. You can't go up to United Airlines and give them a hug. It doesn't work. They want your money. You can't go up to American and say, hey, American Airlines, I need a ticket to South Africa. 8,000 miles. But, you know, don't worry. You know, I haven't got any money, but the Lord is sending me. Give me a ticket. They don't do that. If they do, let me know. I want to find out that program. But they want your money. We go on television. We're on Daystar, TBN, PTL, all these different television networks. We, we get to minister to literally, well, potentially billions of people around the world every single week. And you know what? That takes money to, for airtime. It takes money for, to buy cameras, to film that, to put it out there. It costs money. It costs money to hire people to do things. So we need money in the kingdom so that we can establish God's, God's covenant and we can show people how much he loves them. So I want to break this off of you that unfortunately nowadays, even in this last 15 years or 16 years that I've lived in America, it's almost shameful to be successful. It's not shameful to be successful. It's shameful if you've trod on people and pushed people down and used people to be successful. But it's certainly not shameful to be successful if you've done it in a godly way. God wants you to be successful. He wants you to prosper. And he wants you to use your ability to get wealth, the power to get wealth. He wants that for you. And it's powerful when you do that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that life is better if you have resources. You can help more people. We haven't got time to go there. The Good Samaritan. You know, Margaret Thatcher, one of England's great leaders, she said, if it wasn't for the Good Samaritan, if the Good Samaritan didn't have any money, he wouldn't have even be in the Bible. The reason why the Good Samaritan was able to help was because he had money. Nowadays, he would pull up in his SUV. He would help the person in the back. He would take him to the Marriott or the Hilton. He would swipe his Amex and say, whatever this guy needs, I'm going to cover. That took money to help that person. Now, you can still help people without money, but you can certainly help more people with money. Money is a tool to be used, T-O-O-L. Money is a tool to be used. It's neither, uh, you know, it's, it's neither good nor bad. Money is amoral, and we get to choose how to use it. And we can use it as a tool for the kingdom. So what's happened is the body of Christ has shunned away because we've, it's been abused. The prosperity gospel, I, tell people, I do not teach the prosperity gospel because that's a lie. There's no such thing as a prosperity gospel. There's only the gospel. There's only one gospel. Now that gospel does have a great side effect of prosperity. Like as a side effect of healing, of righteousness, of sanctification, of, of peace. It also has a side effect of prosperity if you choose to tap into it. But we've seen it abused, right? We've seen the prosperity gospel abused and name it, claim it, and get, I've been there. Get your stuff. Up. Me and Kylie have tried this. It doesn't work when it's all about us. We want this big house. So I'm going to sow this special seed for my house. And it's all about me, me, me. They're almost going to sing. It's all about me, Jesus. And all this is for me. And we made it about ourselves. And that is not how it works. Now, you say, Ashley, you don't believe in naming your seed? I believe in letting the Lord name my seed. He does a lot better job of it. I've given big offerings that have really stretched me. And I said, Lord, what's that about? And he said, that's going to be help you here, or that's going to help you there, or that's going to give, be this. Or fight, we found out afterwards. Oh, yeah, that $10,000 seed was this $100,000 increase, or that $100,000 seed was this million-dollar increase. We've seen that. So God names your seed. But what I'm saying is, is that when we make it about us, it becomes selfish, covetous. So we've seen it abused. But just because like, we've seen it abused, why do we go over into the other ditch and say we don't want anything to do with it? We don't have anything to do with that money stuff. No, we need the money in the kingdom of God so it can be used for his glory, praise God. And he, God never had any problem with Solomon being the richest man in the world. Do you notice that? Because he was using it for God's glory. So real quickly here, a couple of things I've got here. How can we see God's increase in our life? How can we practically start to see this happen in our life? How can we increase? 
You know, the Apostle Paul says something interesting. Again, don't turn there, but it's, it's a really interesting version. You know, Philippians 4 is a great chapter on finances. I love Philippians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've, le- I've learned in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm in Arizona, whether I'm in Colorado, whether I'm in, uh, wherever, thank you, honey, my wife got the joke. Praise the Lord. That's all what counts. If I can make my wife laugh, I don't care. So anyway, praise the Lord. Maybe the, I hope we got that on tape. Is that recorded? Might be the first time, first time my wife's ever laughed openly at one of my jokes. I'm very blessed. Praise the Lord. There was no eye roll. There was no sarcasm. She actually laughed at one of my jokes. I'm very blessed. I can just quit now. So the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. The Apostle Paul had to learn to be content. We have to learn to be content, church. We have to learn to be content. You know, in Hebrews it says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We should be satisfied with such things. We should be satisfied with Jesus. If Jesus alone don't satisfy you, all the money in the world will not satisfy you. I mean, like literally, you could be the richest man in the world. You will not be satisfied if, uh, outside of Jesus. Jesus is the only, your relationship with God is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. It's the only thing that can satisfy your spirit. So we need to learn to be satisfied. But look what he says here in verse 12. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Paul knew how to be poor. He knew how to be rich. He knew how to be abased. He knew how to abound. But he says, everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's the, here's the great truth that Paul's teaching here, and I could show you this in other verses, but I want to move on for time's sake. We're meant to live content as Christians. Whatever state you're in right now, be content. Say, Lord, I have you and you alone. And me and Carly have been there. We've literally had no money, and we've been content. We're like, we've got the Lord. We're going to heaven. We've got salvation. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got so much to be thankful for. We're content. But we're also meant to be hungry for more. And that can be spiritually, and right now we're talking about finance. We want more of the Lord. It's, it's a paradox. And really the whole gospel is a paradox. It's, you know, the, the, the gospel is, the salvation is free, but it costs you everything. I mean, there's so many paradoxes with the gospel. And Jesus even taught them, right? You know, the first should be last, the last should be first. If you want to be the greatest leader, you've got to be the greatest servant. If you want wisdom, you speak in Babel. If you want more money, you give it away. I mean, the Bible is full of paradox and really... Um, this is one of the greatest ones right here, that we should learn to be content at all times, but also hungry for more. Always hungry for more. So we're content, but also hungry for more. We should be content with what we have, but we should always be hungry for more, because when it comes to finances, more money can help more people and see more breakthrough, praise God. So that's how the Apostle Paul says. So a couple of things, practical things here. The first thing I've got is be grateful. Gratefulness is huge. Gratefulness is huge. And when you're being grateful, what you're saying a few things. It takes faith to be grateful. It takes faith. And here's what you're saying when you're being grateful. What if you're praying for something, not, not even finances, it could be anything, and you haven't seen it? You know, Jesus said in Luke 11, uh, sorry, Mark 11, 24, he says, when you pray, basically act like you've already received it. So how would you act if you already received it? You'd be happy and grateful and praising God. So we need to be living in that state. You know, before my daughter Hannah was healed, she was miraculously healed. About two weeks before she was healed, hello, baby, <laughs> my grandson, he can interrupt me anytime. So um, before Hannah was healed, you know, we got revelation through Andrew Romack Ministries about how God is good and it's God's will to heal every time. We didn't know that. We thought sometimes God heals, sometimes he chooses not to. We thought sometimes God puts sickness on people to teach them something or sometimes God allows sickness on people to teach them something. Those are lies from the pit of hell. That's not true. God is a good God. And he only does good things. Now, can he turn bad situations around? Of course he can. He can use something bad. He can use something the enemy did against you and turn it around for good. It's almost like the ultimate humiliation to the devil. He puts something bad on you. Not only do you deal with it, but God then turns it around for his glory and uses it for good. 
But God did not put that. It's like a child. If you had a toddler and they'll walk, say they jumped up on this stage, you know, uh, 18-month-old, two-year-old, and you say, be careful, don't fall off, don't fall off. And you tell them and you come walking towards them, be careful, get down, be careful. And they, and they defy you and they fall off and they scrape their knee. And you go over to them and you comfort them and you say, look, you're in pain now, he's crying. Say, look, I told you not to climb up high there. I told you not to do that. So you're teaching them through that. That's a teaching moment. But you didn't come along and push them off the wall and scrape their knee on the concrete and make them bleed. And that's what we blame God of. We blame God for child abuse. It's not true. So when, before Hannah was healed, we, we actually thought that God chose who to heal and who not to heal. I'm here to tell you, church, God does not choose who to heal and not to heal. God wants you well every single time. He loves you. He's your good, good father. And you could pick the best parent in the world. God is better than that. So he, he, his will is always to be healed. But, you know, we learned this truth about two and a half weeks before we saw Hannah healed. We learned this truth that it's always God's will to heal. And it completely changed our life. And we were so blessed knowing that it wasn't God's will for our daughter to die. She was given about a week to live. And we was like, it's not God's will for her to die. We knew that. And we started rejoicing before we saw her healed. In fact, the church we was at said to us, well, you're only rejoicing now because your daughter was healed. What about all the people that don't see their healing? And someone corrected them and said, well, I was with Ashley and Carly a week before Hannah was healed. I was in a Bible study with them. And they were rejoicing and praising God. They said, so much so, we thought they'd gone a bit crazy. That's what they said. Why we was rejoicing? Because we understood the truth of the Lord. We understood that it was God's will to heal every time. We understood that God was a good God and it caused us to rejoice. We was grateful. I'm telling you, church, whatever situation you're in, you have something to be grateful for and we need to be grateful. We need to thank God every day. I keep a journal. Get up, start thanking God. What are you thankful for? You might say, Ashley, I'm dying. Well, thank God you're going to heaven. Ashley, you know, my marriage has fell apart. Well, thank God God's a God of second chances. Thank God that God's a God of the impossible. Thank God that you're going to heaven. Thank God that you've got the Holy Spirit. Thank God that you're breathing. Thank God that you're on two feet. And if you're not, thank God that you're you're still alive. Thank God for what you have got. Because the enemy will come along and, and try and focus you on what you haven't got. That's what we did to Eve, right? You're missing out. She had everything, and the, and the enemy still made her believe that she was missing out. So be grateful, be thankful. It's so powerful. We could go on and on about that, but being grateful is huge. You know, in the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four Gospels. All four of the Gospels cover this. But in Matthew's account of feeding the 5,000, I think this is very interesting. They bring along the, the loaves and the fish, and um, the disciples say, what are so few among so many? Like, this isn't enough. We've got, like, five loaves and two fish, and we've got 5,000 men to feed. This is an impossible situation. Impossible. Most of us would say, get away, little boy. Take your loaves and your fish away. We've got a serious problem here. We've got 5,000 men. And in fact, I think it's John's account says, besides women and children. So we've probably got 20,000 people to feed. And you come at me with your five loaves and two fish, get out of here. Okay? The disciples said, these are so few among so many, what, this is not going to work. But Jesus said, bring them to me. And what did Jesus do? He took those loaves and those fish and he actually gave thanks. It says this in, you can find this in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, 19, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. Now, if you study that out, it doesn't just mean he looked up. It means he looked into the spirit realm. He looked beyond the natural. I mean, to tell you, church, you need to look beyond the natural. You are not just natural living in a natural world. You are supernatural, praise God. You have got the power of God on the inside of you. You've got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You are a supernatural being. And you do the natural, God puts his super to it, and you'll get supernatural results. So Jesus, looking into the spirit, looking beyond the natural, Look at this. He said he blessed and broke them. Jesus gave thanks for these loaves and fish, even though it wasn't enough. For some of you, you might be looking at your finances and say, actually, this isn't enough what I've got. But are you giving thanks for what you have got? Are you saying, God, thank you for the money I have got. Thank you for the job I have got, even though in the natural it doesn't pay enough. 
Thank you for the business I have got, even though the natural is not making enough money. Thank you for what I have got, Lord. Thank you for it. And I'm going to glorify you with it. That's what Jesus did. He said, thank you for these loaves and fish. Even though in the natural it was seemingly impossible, he gave thanks to them. So gratitude, giving thanks is huge. You know what happened? He broke the loaves and fish, spread it out to the disciples. The disciples handed it out to the people. Everyone was filled. And not only did everyone, was everyone filled, it was the original all-you-could-eat buffet. They ate it all, praise God. But not only were they filled, they had 12 baskets left over. So when God supplies your needs supernaturally, he doesn't just give you enough, he gives you more than enough. And they had 12 baskets of leftover. They had an abundance. They had more than enough at the end of that. But the key was that Jesus gave thanks for those loaves and fish. Give thanks for your seed. Thank God for what you have got. God delights in small beginnings. You know, I think Zephaniah 4.10 says, do not despise small beginnings. Oh, Zachariah. So it's very important to not despise small beginnings. Say, thank you, Lord, for this job. It might not look like it pays enough, but I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you you can promote me. I thank you, Lord, you can give me extra. I thank you, Lord, for this job. I thank you, Lord, for my business my side hustle, whatever, whatever you do if you have something like that. I thank you all that it might only make this much, but I thank you in your hands, Lord, you can increase it. And start thanking God for what you already have rather than cursing the seed and saying, that's not enough. I've had people say this to me. One time a guy came to me, he said, Ashley said, I'm out of work. I've been out of work for six months. He said, and I've run out of savings. I said, first of all, it's very commendable that you had six months worth of savings. And he, said, uh, he said, but I can't find a job in this town. I've looked everywhere. This was 2009, height of the recession, end of 2009 in Colorado Springs. I said, he said, it's a recession, I can't find a job. I said, well, have you looked? He said, yeah, but I can't find a job, there's no jobs out there. I said, I think there's people out there hiring. He said, no, there's not, there's not. I said, I think there is. I said, in fact, on the way here, I said, I drove past a business and they were hiring. He said, what business is that? I said, Subway, sandwiches. He said, Subway? It looked like I'd run over his dog. He went, Subway? He said, do you know who I am? I said, evidently not. He said, I used to be, this, I used to be the CFO of this Fortune 500 company, and he's telling me about his degrees, he's telling me about all his accomplishments, and I type of tuned out a little bit. Once he said all his, all his you know, exploits he's got in the business world, I said to him, they'll still let you make a sandwich in Subway. I said, it'll be okay. He said, you cannot be serious. They pay like $12 an hour. I said, well, how much have you made for the last six months? I said, listen, I said, if you go into Subway and get a job, here's what's going to happen. I said, first of all, he said, they're going to realize you're overqualified and they're going to hire you as a manager or something rather than making sandwiches. And even if they don't, you're going to start making sandwiches. And within the first few days, someone's going to walk in, you're going to talk to them because you're going to have a good attitude. And they're going to say, hey, I'm, I've got this startup and I need a, a CFO. Or I've just, I've just, our company needs a CFO, our one's just retired. Or something's going to happen. God's going to position you into the right place. But give him something to work with. See, supernatural increase always happens with gratitude and when you put your hand to something and give something to work with. Diligence, if you want the second thing, diligence. And people don't like diligence, but I'm telling you, the diligent, the diligent soul will be made rich. Proverbs 13.4 says the diligent soul will be made rich. So if you, want to be, if you want to prosper and use your power to get wealth that you already got, then you've got to be diligent. You've got to be diligent to believe that it's God's will for you to prosper. It takes diligence to do this because your natural mind will say, that can't be right. No, you've got to be diligent to believe, diligent to read the word, diligent to get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, I'm prosperous. Thank you, Lord, wherever I put my hand to, prosperous. Thank you, Lord, wherever I touch, works out. Thank you, Lord, that I'm blessed. Thank you, Lord, that deals come to me. Thank you, Lord, that your blessings overtake me and they're running over. Thank you, Lord, that I have more than enough. You need to be diligent to confess that and diligent to believe that and see yourself like that. The most successful people in the world, even if they're not born again, see themselves successful. It makes a huge difference. I had a friend once and he lost everything, multimillionaire. He was a complete heathen. In fact, he used to tell me, he said, I'm a good heathen, actually. I said, I have to say, sir, he was my boss at the time. I said, I have to say, sir, I said, I think the devil himself takes notes on you. 
Like, you're really good. You're really good. He said, I'm a good sinner. I said, you really know how to sin. I said, you really know how to sin. I said, you do a good job. I could tell you some stories, but legally I probably can't. But anyway, I worked for him. He was my boss, and he lost everything. You know, it was about two or three years later he got it all back again because he saw himself successful. If we see ourselves like this, it's half the battle. So be diligent to believe that God wants you successful, but also to be diligent to put our hands to something. And so many times Christians are some of the laziest people, unfortunately, because we sit there in our prayer closets and just pray. I had a young man come up to me the other day. He was probably 21 years old. He said, actually, I'm out of work. He said, but I'm praying. I said, well, you need to stop praying and go, go knocking on some doors and go filling out some applications, get to work. He said, well, he said, what do you think I should do? I said, well, tomorrow, go and knock on all these uh, businesses out here. Go down the strip mall, knock on the strip mall. I said, go to the library, fill out applications. Your, your job is going to be to get a job. So from eight till six, go to work trying to get a job. So anyway, that's what I told him to do. He didn't do it. He said, I, he said, I'd rather just go and pray. I said, you can pray on the streets. I said, you can pray. <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. Maybe I'm a little harsh. But anyway, diligent to put your hand to something. And you know, one, one of the things that you've got to understand is work is a blessing. God created Adam and put them in the garden to work. It says in Genesis 3 or Genesis 2, he said he put them in the garden to work the garden. This was before the fall, before they messed up. God got Adam and put him in the garden to work and to tend and to keep it. Work was a blessing. Did you know that? God created mankind, men and women, to work and be creative, to, to prosper, to reproduce, to be fruitful, to take dominion. And that's what Adam did. He worked. In Genesis 2, he worked the ground, and he actually worked it, and it was a blessing. He was blessed to work. It was a blessing. But then the fall happened, right? And they disobeyed God. And in Genesis 3, uh, 17, it says, because uh, the Lord said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, now usually it's okay to heed the voice of your wife, but in this time it wasn't, because you have eaten the verse you have, and eaten the tree which I command you not to eat. This is Genesis 3.17. Curse is the ground for your sake. The devil, the, uh, God didn't curse the ground. The, the ground became cursed because of their disobedience. He said, curse the ground for your sake. In the toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall, bring, shall it bring forth. Before the fall, there was no thorns in the ground. Very interesting. There was no thorns in the ground. So it says, and then he said, by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your face, you'll eat from the ground and you'll till the ground. So after the fall, Adam went to work, but everything he did had thorns in it, these big long thorns, and it was frustrating. He was putting the same effort in, but he was getting hurt and frustrated, and he wasn't producing the same amount because now there were thorns in the ground. I'm not a gardener, but if you go to try and garden and there's big old thorns in the ground, they're going to hurt you, right? And they're going to, it's going to be harder to work. So the, you could say the works of Adam's hand, the works of man's hands became cursed. That's what happened right then. And God himself said in Genesis 3, 18, that you're going, to, you're going to toil and you're going to eat from the sweat of your brow. Like it's going to be hard work. You're going to eat from the sweat of your brow. Well, have you know, Galatians 3 said, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. We are redeemed from everything that Adam and Eve lost. Whatever Adam lost, Jesus redeemed us. You know, Adam lost authority of this earth at disobedience at a tree. And Jesus got his authority back on earth from obedience at a tree. Amen. Jesus, the second Adam, turned it all around. And everything Adam lost at the tree, Jesus gained back at the tree. Amen. And now we, have, now we don't have to worry about our hands being cursed. You know, in, in Matthew 27, 29, Matthew chapter 27, verse 29, it says that they, the guards got the thorns out the ground and twisted them together and made a crown of thorns. You ever wondered about that? That was not just a mock. They were mocking Jesus. But everything Jesus went through during his death, burial, and resurrection was, was important to redeem us from things. So right there, they got that crown of thorns, put it on Jesus' head, pierced his brow, and he started having blood drip down from, the, from, the, from his brow. And right there, Jesus redeemed you from the curse of the work of your hands. Now the works of our hands are blessed. 
Everything we put our hand to prospers. There's no thorns in the way anymore. We can work and it can be a blessing, praise God. So the works of our hands are blessed. We have to understand that, that everything we put our hand to is blessed. That second Deuteronomy verse that I read, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 8. So you know what? He's going to command a blessing on your storehouses. It's good to have storehouses. It's good to have savings. It's good to have investments. And it says he'll bless all the works of your hands. So if you don't put your hand to anything, there's no blessing. You have to put your hand to it so that his blessing can flow through it. I believe it's uh, Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So when you put your hand to something, it is blessed, amen. I could read you so many verses about blessings of the Lord, but let me give you some quick examples real quickly while I wind down here. Some quick examples of how God wants us to put our hands to something. In fact, God wants something to increase, so God's will for you is increased, but we have to give God something to increase. A hundredfold of zero is zero. A hundredfold of nothing is nothing. doesn't matter what it is. But if you give God something to work with, he can increase it. Every supernatural provision story in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, every, every story, there's something in the natural happens first. You need to give God, we need to give God something to work with. You know, the water pots, John 2, they filled up the water pots. It was turned into wine, supernatural increase. Uh, the loaves and the fish, the feeding the 5,000, the feeding the 4,000. They gave loaves and fish to Jesus and he increased them. Um, the, the supernatural catch of fish, he said, cast your net over to the other side. They cast the net over to the other side, they got a supernatural catch of fish. They had to do something in the natural. What about the tax money? Peter had to go and cast a line in and catch a fish with his rod. He might have thought, why am I going fishing with a fishing rod? I can catch a lot more fish in my net. I've got a fishing rod. Uh, we need tax money. One fish isn't going to pay no tax money. One fish, I don't know how much that's worth, but it's not worth the tax money, but he was obedient. He went and did something in the natural. He went fishing in the natural, seemingly insignificant act, but he was obedient to God's word, did that in the natural. Guess what happened? He pulled the fish out, and there was a coin in the fish's mouth that paid the taxes. A natural action, obedience to God, a natural action produced supernatural results. I could go on and on. The, the widow woman in 2 Kings 4, she gathered vessels, right? She borrowed a bunch of vessels, empty vessels, they poured the oil out. It started to increase supernaturally. And now she's in the oil business, praise God. And she was able to pay off all her debts and release her sons. Um, I could go on and on. The, the, the uh, axe head, you know, there was, he was uh, wielding his axe, showing off of his big axe, and the axe fell into the water. And he said, oh, alas, it's borrowed. I had it on credit. You know, he's got this, he's got this nice car, and he's like, he crashes it. Oh, no, it's on credit. He's got this nice axe. Look at my nice axe. And it falls into the river. He's like, oh, no, it's on credit. I'm in trouble. They got a stick and threw it in the river. A natural action to produce supernatural results. On and on I could go. Second Kings 17, she brought the meal and the flour and it never ran out. On and on. Every time there's a supernatural increase story in the Bible, there's something in the natural done first. And that's diligence on our part. Put your hand to something and God can increase it, praise God. God can give increase to what you put your hand to. You put your hand to something, he could bring increase. I'll uh, wrap it up with this story. I was, um, we was uh, at Bible school, had no money at Bible school. We was poor, like I said. And then we started to, um, I started buying and selling things. So anyway, cut a long story short, I, uh, we had two cars, I sold one, made some money. And then the person who bought it for me told me about an auction down the road. So I went to this auction, I was real green at the time, I was in my early 20s. I went to this auction, and I would like to buy things that were very unusual. Like, I bought all sorts of weird things, cardio to it, this auction. It was a vehicle auction, but I bought all sorts of strange things. Like one time I bought this, it was like this train machine, I forget what it was now, but it had, a, it had a, an air raid siren in it. True story. And the kids were playing in it and they pressed the air raid siren and we had the authorities come around and everything. Like the whole town thought there was, thought we'd gone back to the Blitz or something. And it was just weird. I bought all sorts of things. And one of the things I bought was this electric car. This was, Ben, you'll be proud of me. This was 20 years ago. I bought an electric car before electric cars were cool. 
And I bought this electric car, no one else bid on it, and I thought, what is this? So I bought this electric car, and, and I read the manual, and it was a very sad state of affairs. Like, the, the range of this thing was 20 miles. This electric, 20 miles. And it said that if you use the radio or the heater, it will decrease the range. Lots. And then it took you like two hours to charge it up. So I, I, I wanted to use it myself. So I looked, I thought, well, my friend, he only lives 18 miles away. As long as I don't use the heater or the radio or the windshield wipers, I should be able to make it. And as long as he has like a 110 outlet or a 210 outlet, I should be able to make it. So this car was not good, okay? It was, it was a, the first ever, I think it was called a G-Wiz or something. the first ever electric car and it was a mess. So guess what? I couldn't sell it. I tried to sell it. I couldn't sell it. This thing would not sell or not sell. And I invested a lot of our money into it because I thought this is going to be the future, you know, electric car. So Carly said, can I go to the grocery store yet? I said, no, just hold off, honey. I said, you're going to have to hold off, okay? We've got to sell this electric car. Well, anyway, cut long story short, I finally sold it to this guy. And he called me. He said, I'll buy your car if you deliver it to me. I said, where do you live? He said, I live in London. I was in Birmingham at the time. I said, that's like 150 miles away. That's going to take me a month. <laughs> that's not going to work. So I rented a trailer, and I got this electric car onto the trailer in the pouring rain. It's England. This is what it does. In the pouring rain, I got this car onto the trailer, and then I drove it like 150 miles down to this person's house, and I delivered it. I unloaded it. I delivered it and everything else. And he came out, and he said, great. And he started to pay me, and then his, his wife came out, and she was mad. What have you bought here? He said, don't worry, honey. What have you? She got mad. And then she cornered me. And I was like, whoa. She said, what is, what is this car? I said, your husband wanted to buy it. I was very honest with him. I told him it's only got a 20-mile range. She said, that's fine, and everything else. And she got in my face, and she was mad, spitting mad. I was like, whoa. So he said, he came in and he said, I'm sorry. He said, my wife won't let me buy it. I thought, come on, man. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, my wife. I said, well, I said, you told me you wanted it. You gave me your word. He said, no. He said, but he said, I've got to live with her. He said, I can't <laughs> I said, I understand. So anyway, I got back in my truck. I loaded it back up again in the rain, got back in my truck. And I sat there and I had a decision to make. See, I was giving the Lord something to work with. I was trying to be diligent, but I, I was having a pity party right then. I was like, oh, woe with me. And then these principles came to me. You know what? If you want to get ahead, if you want this power to get wealth, you've got to, be, you've got to use these things that the Lord's given you. And I realized, you know what? When you put your hand to something, it doesn't always work out. But I decided to be grateful. I decided to praise the Lord. You know, the most important time you can praise the Lord and be grateful is when you least feel like it. When you least feel like praising the Lord is the most important time. And I did not want to praise the Lord. I was cold. I was hungry. I was in the middle of nowhere. It was raining. I had this, this car on the back. I was going to have to go back to Carly and tell her she still can't buy groceries. This is not a good situation. But I decided to praise the Lord. And I forced myself to praise the Lord. I forced myself to start praising God, start thanking God. I said, God, I thank you that everything I touch prospers. I thank you, Lord, that you've got the best for me. I thank you, Lord, you provide my needs. I started rehearsing the scriptures. I started praising the Lord, and I started having a praise party in that truck. And after about half an hour of praising the Lord in that truck, nothing had changed in the natural, but I just felt a breakthrough, and I felt good. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And I went to start my truck to drive the 150 miles home, and my phone rang. And there's this guy, and he said, do you still have that electric car for sale? And I've been trying to sell it for months, literally. It's like the second, but I said, yes, I do. He said, well, he said, would you be able to deliver it? I said, where'd you live? He told me, I typed the address in. He lived like five minutes down the road. I was in the middle of nowhere, 150 miles. Come on, come on. He said, when did you deliver it? I didn't want to be too, you know, I said, I thought I could stop and have breakfast or something. I don't want to say like five minutes. I could be there within the hour. He said, that'd be amazing. Anyway, I dropped that car off. He paid me more than, more than I asked for it. He gave me extra money for delivery and everything else. And I drove home thankful. My point being, if you want to see increase in your life, gratitude attracts increase. Gratitude attracts the supernatural power of God and diligence, being diligent to believe it 
and being diligent to do it, praise God. Being diligent to believe it and being diligent to put your hand to something. And the last one, which I haven't got time to teach you on, but the third one, if you really want to see God's supernatural increase in your life, it's generosity. When you give, Proverbs 11.25 says there's one who, uh, Proverbs 11.24 says there's one who gives and yet increases more. There's one who withholds more than is right and it leads to poverty. And then the next verse says the the generous soul will be made rich. Proverbs 11.25, the generous soul will be made rich. When you give to the Lord, you're saying, Lord, I trust you with my money. I'm giving to you and he will increase it back to you. Praise God. But I'm looking at a church of people that have got the power to get wealth. I'm looking at a church that's got the power to get wealth. And how's this building, for instance, going to be paid off? God's going to prosper you. So sign up for the program. So Lord, I sign up for the program to prosper personally so that I can give even more to Vida Church. I can give even more to outreach. I can give even more to see supernatural results. Amen. To see your covenant established in this earth. God wants to increase you. He's designed you for increase. And just like he said to, to Adam, just like he said to Noah, just like he said to Abraham, prosper. Go out and prosper. Multiply. Take dominion and use that power you have to get wealth so that we can establish God's covenant and we can see more people come into relationship with the Lord. Amen.